opportunity last Friday to drive over to Augusta with Pastor Kinzer to a uh, kind of a, a partial day pastor's conference that was in conjunction with First Pres Augusta, their missions conference. And we got to hear a, a gentleman from a church in New York City talk about uh, uh, the, the topic of faith and work, but he asked, he, he had an interesting question to start off his, his message to us. And the question was, do you ever think about, as a church, how you do, how you, what perspective you come from when you do discipleship? And his question was, do you disciple people as citizens or as exiles? And again, he went through the, the process there. And here's some of the things he said. He said, you act differently and you approach things differently if you're coming at uh, the perspective of we are citizens or if we're exiles. He said, citizens see themselves at home, whereas exiles always have a sense of, of longing, of this is not my home. I long to get back to, to the place that, that I belong. Citizens have the perspective of, hey, this is our place. You can come and get on board with what we're doing and serve us. Whereas exiles, as we're told in Jeremiah, are supposed to seek the welfare of the city in which they're in while they're there. Citizens expect things to be basically good and are devastated when anything bad happens, especially in their own backyard. Whereas exiles tend to expect things to to not go well all the time and are grateful and thankful when they taste Something that's good. In the same sense, citizens tend to think that things are safe and that they're secure, whereas exiles don't have any expectation of safety and and deal with and live with a certain bit of of uncertainty. Citizens tend to be inward, protective, uh, insulated, whereas exiles have their orientation and their focus as that being um, outward. If that's a basic description of citizens versus exiles, just on your, your knowledge of Scripture, just thinking through it, what are we? Are we citizens or are we exiles? We're exiles. Just thinking through what we've talked about in here for the last year or so, we've looked at Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in the parables of the kingdom, where he says, blessed are those who are safe and secure and never have any harm, Right? No, he says, blessed are the persecuted, especially those that are persecuted on my, for, for my sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he says in the parable of the weeds, he says, expect uh, weeds to grow up with the wheat and for it, not to, for it to be that way until I come back at the end of time when I separate the wheat from the weeds. He says, expect trouble in your lifetime because... We are sojourners. We are exiles uh, until he comes back and sets up his kingdom in full and restores things to even a greater glory than what he created them to be in the first place. If that's true, if we are exiles in that sense, we have that mentality as those who are Christians who are longing for the world to come, then there should be an expectation to some extent, to some sense of a longing. And so the question comes, what do we do with that? How do we live in light of that, in light of that perspective, and with that deep longing 
for home. Psalm 84 is written to address that very issue. And the psalmist goes through, uh, you can see him kind of work through things in his head and his heart as he sings these words, writes these words to be sung about being in exile and longing for home. Let me read it and we'll, we'll make some applications. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pods. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. For the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in You. Blessed is the one who trusts in You. We see the psalmist begin his song to the Lord with a a deep, wistful longing for a home, a place that is distant. He starts off in verse 1 talking about this distant home, about this deep longing within him. And he says, he uses the language of poetry. He says, how lovely or dear or beloved is your dwelling place. There's a, a deep fondness for the temple of the Lord, which is the dwelling place of God. If we were to, to fast forward, it would be in, in our day and age, because the body of Christ, the church, is the, we are now the temple of God. It would be similar to us saying, we absolutely love it. It is fun, it is dear to us to, to love brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to gather together, to be in the place where God is in the midst of us. There's a, a longing, a language of poetry there. Verse 2, he moves on. He says, my, my soul longs, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. And my heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. It's literally, when he says, my, my heart and flesh sing for joy, the, the words mean to cry out. Not necessarily in joy, but, but an intense longing. that I'm going to faint. I'm so earnestly looking forward and wanting to be there. And it's not just for the place, the building, the structure itself, but it's for, for God Himself, the one who is there in the midst of this place. He goes on in, in, in poetic fashion in verse 3. He says, Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King, my God. It's, it's an envy, a jealousy for anyone or anything that has access to this distant beloved, this distant this God that he so longs to be in contact with. He's basically looking out and saying, man, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of those birds that get to make their nests in the, the temple courts. Even they, they get the sense of, of, of nearness that I, I so long for and get 
attention from the hospitality of our good God. And then he summarizes this longing in verse 4. He says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your, your, your praise. He says, Happy are those who are not exiles. Happy are those who, who they're, they're at home with you. They're in your presence. It's interesting, isn't it, that often it's the exile who appreciates the home, while those who are the stay-at-homes end up being the ones that find fault with it. Here is an exile longing to be in the presence of the Lord, and, uh, and it's, it's, it's driving, and it's, it's causing him this, this deep anxiety. What about you? Do you long for your spiritual home? To be in full presence with the Lord? To be at home with God? This longing here in, in Psalm 84, the, the beginning verse of this song, of this hymn, is right. It's supposed to be the, the posture at, at the gut level of those of us that claim to know the Lord, that are exiles, that are not yet home. And the problem is not that there's nostalgia or that there's longing. The problem comes when you ask the question, of what, what do you do with it? You have a couple of options. You can, you can have, be cynical that you're not yet there and retreat or critique. You can go to the other side and say, hey, I'm not there and I don't like the way things are. I'm going to, to set myself against the place that I find myself and have this triumphal you know, revolt, revolution. But the, the psalmist doesn't do either one of those. He moves on with this deep longing, and you see him move to uh, a resoluteness to engage in the journey that's before him. That starts, that eager journey starts in verse 5, where he says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Here he re- refuses to settle into any vain regrets. He says, basically, I can't have Zion yet, but I can still be with God. I can't enjoy the sweetness of the full presence of God, but I can find strength from this God for the journey that's before me. The highways that are described here are, and what he's saying in this is, hey, there's, there's a way to God, and it's a well-prepared and well-frequented way. It's not something that is, is to be dreaded, but it's something to walk down that many have walked, walked down before and found hope and strength for the journey as they go. Verse 6, he says, As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain covers it with pools. The, the term there is, could be translated literally, the thirsty valley. As they go through the thirsty valley, they make it a place of springs. There's a, it's a daring statement here of faith which dares to dig blessings out of hardships. I love that phrase. One who looks at a thirsty valley and dares to, to dig blessings out of hardships. I remember reading of a, an author one time that talked about, you know, the Christian life is really about digging channels. And so often we find ourselves digging and digging and digging in a, a dry valley. Um, a valley of dryness, and it's only seldom, if, if ever, that the rains come and start to maybe trickle, and we feel the channel starting to be filled. 
the picture in this context was of a, of a rain that would come unexpected and would literally change the landscape. Because as the rain came, it would fill up the pools and, and the places uh, of, the, of the earth around them. And it would transform almost overnight. If you watch the Discovery Channel, you'll, you'll, you can see uh, specials on this. How the, the whole place is transferred overnight. Flowers pop up. Greenery comes. Animals flock to it. Um, the whole area can change. But that's something that's outside of, of his control. His job, he says, is to dig the channels and to wait for the rains to come. A daring statement of faith which dares to dig blessings out of hardships. Is that what you do with your journey as an exile? To be so resolute to say, hey, I'm in the thirsty valley. I'm not home, but man, I can't wait to get to digging. In laying myself before the Lord saying, fill these channels with your favor, with your grace. Verse 7, you see that the nearer he gets to the goal, the stronger is its pull. He says they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in, in, in Zion. He's basically saying, hey, faith and love grow with exercise. The more you exercise uh, these, these, these gifts in this journey and dependence upon the Lord, the stronger the pull to be with Him becomes. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful image of as I exercise and step out trusting the Lord in this, He meets me there and transforms me. In verse 8 and 9, he can't contain it so that he, he bursts out in prayer. O Lord of God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. You look on the face, or look on the face of your anointed. He's saying, I realize I can't do this on my own. I realize my limits are I can dig the channels that I can seek to, 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 to walk this journey but it's you that's going to have to show up. So he, he ends up exercising it out loud, these things that he sees in his head. He throws himself before the Lord and says, God, show up. Do this. Give ear to my prayer. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. God, do this. Utter dependence. So there's this deep longing that moves to a, a resolute trust as he walks through this journey and he ends up full circle with a contentedness in being um, in, in knowing where he's headed with the radiant presence of the Lord verse 10 it says for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness this is comparable in verse 10 to, to what Paul says in his letters when, in Philippians when he says, Hey, I consider all the things that I could put my hands to. All the things that, that, that most people count as, as gain, as investments in the account of success of our life. And I look at them when I compare them to being with you. When I compare them to what you offer in, in your presence and the salvation it's, it's loss. In comparison, it has, it has no value. He's saying here, hey, better is it's just one day 
in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. He's saying, I would rather be on the threshold knowing what I'm about to get when I get home than be headlong into wickedness, to be a citizen of this world and all that that means. He moves on. Verse, the reason he's so excited, the reason he has that kind of confidence in verse 11 is because he knows who the Lord is. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He says what God is, a sun and a shield, all that is outgoing and positive, the idea of light and warmth, heat, and then protective, all that is protective, a shield that protects from any sense of fear and death. Then he moves on to what God gives. He gives, it says, favor and honor, which could be translated even grace and glory. The idea of the smile of God and the transforming presence of God's glory. The idea of glory there is that God shows up and smiles upon you. It, it, it gets on you. And you can bask in the greatness of who God is. And then he says what he withholds, which is... It's not nothing. It's just he withholds no good thing. He says God will not withhold any good thing. It's unimagined. And Paul fills it out for us when he says, Hey, I pray for you that you'll begin to grasp what the height, the depth, the breadth, and know the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's the same sense here. God, you are a sun and a shield. God, you give grace and glory. And God, you withhold no good thing. From me. Then he sums it up. Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. He says, Hey, disciplined response to this longing, this nostalgia for home, in, in, in responding in a resolute way to continue in the journey to draw strength from God, he has found the blessing of somebody that trusts in him. Even without being fully in his presence, one who trusts, he find, has found blessing. The summary statement of this whole psalm might be something like this. Our present glimpses and longings are both a spur to our pilgrimage. They spur us on, but they're also a chance to respond to God already in delighted trust. In other words, as we live this resolute journey and gaining strength, um, drawing closer and having that longing brought out even more, we get to taste a blessing, a foretaste, a first fruits of the glory that is to become is, is to come. I don't like to to criticize songwriters because writing a song is hard. But Miley Cyrus has a song out that's very popular, and it's called "The Climb," and it's got a very catchy tune. And it's very good in the verses. It's, it's good stuff about walking through adversity and, you know, mountains that are in front of her. But it gets to the chorus, and she says this. She says, ain't about how fast I get there, which, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, we need to be patient. We trust the Lord. We walk resolutely, if, if even slowly sometimes through life. But then she moves on, and she says, ain't about what's waiting on the other side. It's the climb. You ever heard that? Hey, it doesn't matter where you're going, just this, this, this the journey, right? Well, that's similar to those that have said, hey, you just, 
doesn't matter what you have faith in. You just need to have faith. Well, we can have faith in a big boulder that's in the ocean that we're clinging to. That, it, hey, this boulder is going to... I have faith. I have trust that this thing is going to save me. And you can trust in it all you want and believe all you want in it. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to sink. He's saying here, hey, we've got a journey to walk as exiles. And this journey is going to provide many, many good things in our lives. It's going to help create and, and develop this longing for God. It's going to cause us to trust in Him in a way that's healthy. It's going to stretch us and prepare us for glory in ways that would, would have been impossible without it. There's a reason for this journey. But it, it's not about the journey. It's not about the climb. It is about what's on the other side of the mountain. It is about where you're going. And a day in, in His courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. So if you don't have that longing in you, then something's wrong. You've settled into seeing yourself as a citizen instead of what the Bible tells us we are, exiles who are on the journey home. One of my favorite movies came out a number of years ago, and it's Apollo 13. It's uh, the, the, the journey of the Odyssey, and it's, it's, it's you know, based on a true story. I don't know how much they embellished it in the, in the Hollywood version. But how many of you have seen that movie? Anyone? I get teary-eyed every time towards the end. And Annette laughs at me. My wife laughs at me. She's like, why are you getting you know, teary-eyed at a, at a movie like this? Like, well, this is why. And this is, this is a, an author that described it when I was in a book I was reading recently. He says, I think at the end of the, the movie Apollo 13, based on the true story of the mission of, uh, to the moon that fell to pieces and the battle against all odds to bring those three astronauts home safely. He said, unknown damage has been done to the space capsule in an explosion. Their guidance system could be malfunctioning. They might miss the Earth entirely. Power has been lost. Their parachutes might be three blocks of ice. The heat shield that protects the men from the inferno of reentry might be cracked. Will their little ark get them home? And that's our question, right? We're on the journey. But are we going to get there? <laughs> Since the world is gathered in front of television, it's in homes, offices, storefronts, schools, to witness one of the greatest dramas of the 20th century. All radio contact is lost during the blackout as the command module plunges into Earth's atmosphere hurling homeward at a speed of 30,000 feet per second. It's the final moment of their ordeal. The world is holding its collective breath, watching the sky. As the news announcer says, no re-entering ship has ever taken longer than three minutes to emerge from blackout. This is the critical moment. Will the heat shield hold? Will the command module survive the intense heat of re-entry? If not, there will only be silence. The men on the deck of the USS Iwo Jima sent... Sent to the South Pacific to rendezvous with the capsule, desperately searched the horizon with binoculars. In faith, the Navy recovery and rescue helicopters are launched. At mission control in Houston, all is silent, and seconds tick by, like hours, as the blackout continues. There's no word from the astronauts. All eyes remain fixed on the vacant sky. Flight monitor in Houston announces the end of the blackout. That's three minutes, standing by for acquisition. Mission control attempts to contact the lost men. Odyssey, this is Houston. Do you read me? Silence. Only the crackling static of the radio. 
Odyssey, Houston, do you read? Still nothing. The news anchor admits the expected time of reentry has come and gone. And about all any of us can do now is just listen and hope. The families of the three men are quietly holding hands. Tears begin to run down their cheeks. A few turn their eyes away as if to avoid the inevitable. And Houston men hang their heads. They did all they could possibly do. And another full minute passes. And still nothing. Silence. The capsule is way, way beyond the point of return. The rescue has apparently failed. Odyssey, Houston, do you read? The radio begins to crackle as the television screen reveals a tiny speck emerging from the clouds. And red parachutes burst open. And then we hear a reply from the command module. Hello, Houston. This is Odyssey. It's good to see you again. And if you know the movie, cheers. Everybody's on their feet shouting. Hugs all around. Tears. Happiness. Relief. Our boys have made it home. Flight contact. A dear friend of the men on board is barely able to speak as he says, Odyssey, it's Houston. Welcome home. We're glad to see you. Maybe the understatement of the whole movie. They're home. The psalm expresses longing to be with the Lord. But what he does with that longing is he says, Hey, I'm not there yet. So I've got one option. And that's to resolutely walk the journey that's before me. Depending on the strength of the Lord... Looking to Him and, and having foretaste as I dig those channels and ask the Lord to fill them. But knowing that it's better to be on the threshold, to be a doorkeeper of that place with the Lord, than to be anywhere else, doing anything else. And that end is certain. We're going home. May that encourage you today as you walk that journey. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word that is so different in different parts of it that places like this in the Psalms, we can gain such an expression of what we feel on our deepest, deepest heart level and yet receive so much encouragement for the truth of what's to come. God, we, on some level, whether great or small, we feel this longing And we know that we're not yet home, that things aren't yet the way that they will be when you come back and make all things new. So help us to be resolute in the journey, to continue to dig those channels and depending on you to fill them. Give us foretaste, give us first fruits of what's to come. And God, in your timing, in your way, come back and complete the work that you started. And enable us to, with trust and dependence on you, to continue to look forward to it as you do your work in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.